0: We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Today's episode is a bonus episode from when I was a guest on Stephanie Postel's podcast, Up Next in Commerce. I hope you enjoy it. And please make sure to tune in on Monday for the next episode of The Kara Golden Show. Have a great weekend, everyone. To have an entrepreneurial idea to actually change an industry, it's not that you don't go and speak to people in that industry and try and learn from them in some way, but understand that they may not actually see your vision. As Steve Jobs used to say, you don't ask the consumer what they need, you tell them what they need.
1: Hey there, and welcome to Up Next in Commerce, your number one podcast for e-commerce insights from some of the biggest names and fastest growing startups in the industry. I'm Stephanie Postles, your host and CEO of Mission.org. The term disruptor gets thrown around a lot these days, but if there is one person who truly earned the title of disruptor, it's Kara Golden, the founder of Hint Water. She fought against an archaic beverage industry to bring her revolutionary product to market. And along the way, she had a transformative encounter with Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos and negotiated getting her product into Whole Foods the same day she gave birth to her son. You want the full story? And you'll definitely want to stick around for this whole episode. Kara? Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on today. Thanks for hopping on and joining me. So thrilled to be on.
0: You know, I knew you got started in the Bay Area, and and we got to talk a little bit about Austin. So very thrilled to connect with you.
1: Yeah, maybe eventually you'll end up here like everyone else. I don't know. Maybe you never know. Good spot to be good Mexican food for sure. Yeah. So you just mentioned before we started recording about being in Google offices. And I actually think this is a really fun place to start because, you know, I worked at Google for quite a few years in the Bay Area before I started Mission. And I was just talking uh, to our producer, Hillary, that, you know, I feel like Hint to me was a household name. I mean, especially in the Bay Area, going into Google offices, they lined all the micro kitchens there. I mean, they're on every single shelf. It's just like what you had every day. But for people you know, who maybe look at you and see that success story, which is what I would have seen back then, I wanted to start in a different place around a certain executive you were meeting with early days of the company and him calling you sweetie, which I'm sure you loved. And I kind of wanted to start there instead of uh, you know, what it is today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll set this up a little bit of some background on that story in particular. So that chapter in my life came at a time when I guess it was probably just over a year into launching our product on the shelf in some Bay Area stores that we were getting a lot of pressure from some of the stores that we were already in to increase our shelf life. So for those of you who aren't that familiar with this or have never really Thought about this. So, products that you buy in stores have expiration dates, right? And so, if you're a beverage and if you are a shelf stable product, meaning that you don't have to be refrigerated, the requirements in a lot of stores are that you have to have at least a few months. Um, In our case, we were hearing six months. And so, we had gotten the product on the shelf at Whole Foods, but I felt like right when i felt success and that i felt like we were kind of in the game and everything was going great the bar was getting higher and so they were saying okay 4 months you hit 3 months now it's 4 months now it's 5 months and i'm like oh come on coach i mean what what are we doing here i've already achieved that and the only way that we could really figure out how to get a longer shelf life was to add preservatives. Nobody was doing a product that was using real fruit and not using some kind of preservative in it. And when we asked the industry, again, I didn't come from the industry, I came from tech. The response that I was getting back from people, including the people who were developing our product was it's impossible. And what I learned in tech, kind of growing up in tech, as I Like to say is that when you're creating something in tech, it's all about it's not available to do now. I would rarely hear the term that's impossible. Instead, it's not possible today. But people would actually be very careful about saying that it's not possible, it just hasn't been done. It was much more common than it's impossible. And so I think having that mindset, even though I was hearing that what you're asking to do, create a natural product without preservatives is impossible, was something I kept searching for the answers. I was sharing with a girlfriend of mine because I really felt like I was going to get kicked out of some of the stores that we were in. I was sharing with my story with her that I was really nervous about getting booted out of some of the distribution that we had created already. And she mentioned to me that she had met this guy on the airplane. She didn't know him well, but he worked at Coca-Cola and he was a, you know, very senior experienced guy. And she said, I wonder if I could reach out to him and he would talk to you. I mean, maybe he can give you some other advice of where to go. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Rosetta Stone works, and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined Too, Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Oh, and I also was looking for distribution because I was so far loading up my car with my Grand Cherokee with cases of Hint, And I thought, you know, it'd be really nice to get some of those big trucks to take it around the country and be able to sell it in other states. So when she asked this gentleman to do a phone call with us, I remember being really nervous because I thought he's very senior. He's, you know, super experienced. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have all these crazy questions. I was very prepared for the phone call. About 15 minutes into the conversation, that's when, I was describing how well we were doing, how I had left my addiction to Diet Coke um, and moved into drinking plain water and decided that water was boring. And that's how I decided to create this product hint. And there was definitely this need. We were doing well in stores, but we were trying to figure out the production side of getting a longer shelf life combined with I'd love to talk to them about potentially distributing the product. And that's when he jumped in and said, sweetie, Americans love sweet. Your product isn't going anywhere. And I thought, oh my God, did he just call me sweetie across the phone? As my dad said to me when I shared that story with him, he said, thank goodness you weren't actually sitting in his office live. I mean, that probably wouldn't have been such a great situation for anybody. Things would
1: have gone down. (laughs) Things would have gone down, right?
0: And you know, it's funny because I've had people over the years when I've shared that story, I've had people say to me, did you correct him? Did you say to him, wait, you're calling me sweetie? I mean, why didn't you hang up on him? I mean, all these things were going through my head. And instead, I decided just to listen and hear what he was saying. And so many of the things that he started saying that he believed was counter to what I was seeing in my consumers who were buying our product. So he was saying to me that the goal was not to create a non-sweetened flavored product. The goal for consumers was to get less calories. And I thought, but what if getting healthy isn't necessarily about less calories? Maybe we've been told that getting healthy is about zero calories. At the time we were at 10 calories. The industry hadn't really perfected zero calories in a product like diet or vitamin or any of the other flavored waters with sweeteners out there. And I thought, here he is just saying the same stuff over and over again. He's probably teaching people inside of his organization the exact same thing. And yet he doesn't have the same consumer that I have. And after about half an hour to 45 minutes of hearing him basically share his strategy about you know who the next consumer was that's when we hung up the phone and i thought okay i have a choice he's not going to distribute my product he isn't going to help me actually figure out how to do a preservative free product because he didn't have any and instead i had a choice do i throw the pedal down hard and just keep going or do I quit? And I thought, I think in many ways, hearing him say the word sweetie, call me sweetie, yeah. kind of helped me in some ways to maybe sort of lose trust, if that makes sense. And in what he was saying, yeah. kind of disconnect his qualifications in some bizarre way where I just thought, oh, you know, anyone who would call me sweetie. I mean, why should I listen to him, right? And instead, I just, I really viewed it as something that I had to maybe experience that I was, didn't love, but I was going to be able to live through it. And it taught me a lot, but it also made me go. I was the underdog who was, you know, had the vision and I wasn't going to stop. And that was the, that was the biggest lesson that I learned out of that experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, how much would you say is your childhood that kind of gave you that kind of drive? I was reading a bit of your book, Undaunted, which was awesome. And you highlighted how I think you were the youngest of five and you kind of just had to do your own thing. Your dad said, okay, every time Kara hears a no, she thinks it's a maybe. And a maybe is always a yes. And to me, it's like you had this way of thinking and also what you grew up in that maybe, you know, you get into a situation like that and you're like, well, I'm not so sure I actually trust what you're saying. Like, do you even know this area? I'll move on. How much was because of that?
0: Yeah, well, I think my house was, at least for me, it was a negotiation. Everything was a negotiation. And it was about me being able to convince my parents that I should be able to do stuff. I mean, you have to understand, too, when my parents had me, they were the oldest parents on the block. They were 40 years old when they had me, which, you know, nobody was having kids that was 40 at that time. And so it was, um, you know, I had four brothers and sisters, two wild, kind of wild brothers. And basically my parents said, no, that was like the first response. Can I go to the party on Friday? No. Can I do this? No. Can I do this? No. So then I'd have to figure out, okay, well, what if I go in that way? What if I talk to him about this or whatever it is? So I think that that was, you know, a lot of what I had experienced and who would have thought that those would be Life lessons, life skills that I'd be able to take into everything else that I thought about doing in life. And, you know, I think more than anything, something that my parents also used to say to me, besides, you're always negotiating, it's they'd get mad at me sometimes saying, you're always trying to turn maybe into yes. But, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And I think about that still to this day. And I encourage everybody to really think about that too, because the worst is usually not as bad as you're sort of making it out to be. And it generally doesn't go down that way. In fact, most of the time, it turns out much better than you expected, or it turns out totally different. And you were completely paranoid and afraid of something that actually never happened at all. And I think that that's something that, No matter what industry you're in, no matter what role you're in, whether you're a CEO, a leader, a founder, a brand new on the block, working, trying to start something, you know, whatever you're doing, I think what is the worst that can happen is rarely as bad as you think that it's going to be.
1: Yeah. And your mind, I feel like, solves things quickly. I've done this a couple of times, whether it was, you know, when the company was having problems or when I was back working at Google or Fannie Mae and just, mapping through of like, okay, if this happens and I won't have insurance for my twins, okay, and then I can do this and I'll maybe go back to Google. And like my mind started solving all the problems and it got to like, okay, worst case scenario, eh, not as bad as, you know, my mind maybe thought it was high level. Like once you start getting into the nitty gritty, you figure out like what could the alternatives be? And it's actually not as bad as you think, but you have to get down to that, like mapping every step of it to make it feel real. And even envisioning what that feels like to then know, you know, okay, that's passed down. You don't need to worry about that.
0: Yeah, I mean the most dangerous aspect when you freak yourself out about something and you think, "Oh, I can't do that," and is that you stop, right? And you don't do anything at all. And instead, you have to figure out, "Okay, well, while I'm thinking about that, maybe I go and do this. Maybe I take baby steps in that direction to try and see if it's even an opportunity or possibility or whatever it is." And and oftentimes even trying to figure out how to move forward actually alleviates, to your point, your concern. Maybe it's researching something. Maybe it's actually seeing what is the possibility or talking to other people who have been through that situation that will actually get you out of the gate. But figuring out how to move forward is the most important aspect.
1: Yep, I agree. So I wanna kind of back up a bit when thinking about approaching different industries, because to me, I think when you're in tech, you know, as an example, there's not really much of too many no's. Like people are willing to kind of step in and help. And there's, like you said, no one's going to come in and say, okay, that's just not possible. Outside of that though, I actually feel like many industries are kind of like that. Like we've been doing it this certain way for this long and you will have someone like you experienced just say, that's not how we do things. We know how it works. What would your advice be to entrepreneurs who are, you know, trying to get into these more archaic industries that have been doing things the way they have, like, how should they approach that? Because yeah, from my mindset, I go and I ask for help. I approach the people who are, you know, doing what I want to do. And that feels pretty normal. But I think maybe once you get into a different industry outside of tech, then maybe that's actually not the best way to do it. And you actually just want to stay startup mode, you know, tunnel vision and don't let others dissuade you. But what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's so many ways to actually feel like you're being mentored and get information, even if you're not actually physically meeting with people. I mean, today, you know, you can find out how to do most everything on the internet, right? And definitely there's, there's lots of webinars. There's, I mean, if the pandemic brought nothing else besides this um, from it, that's good. It's like, there's so many people doing Zoom Talks for so it's a lot easier to be able to access a lot of this information. But I think that the competitive advantage in whatever industry you're in for an entrepreneur versus, you know, whether it's an industry or actually kind of a behemoth company inside of an industry, too, is that as they get bigger, maybe they're a public company, which I think adds even more complexity to it too. When things are going well in large companies and public companies, then you continue to do what you do every single day. Because why rock the boat, right? You don't want to pop the bubble. I mean, you just continue doing. And when you have an entrepreneurial idea to actually change an industry, it's not that you don't go and speak to people in that industry and try and learn from them in some way, but understand that they may not actually see your vision. Right. As Steve Jobs used to say, I mean, you don't ask the consumer what they need, you tell them what they need. And it's the same thing when you're looking at industries. You want to go start a company. You're not going to go and ask permission from somebody that's in that industry, because of course they're going to tell you that, you know, that's not necessary because they haven't seen that consumer. Instead, what you do is you go create, you figure out how to create something great that maybe it's not fully fleshed out, but it's actually good enough to take it to the market to learn from it. And then if it's really getting attention, then you got to figure out how do you throw the gas on it. And I think that that's the most important thing. But again, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's a little bit of imposter syndrome. And I think that this happens a lot for founders um, because you're, you know, starting a company, you've got this Vision for what it's supposed to be. You know what problem you are solving, but you still have doubts about whether or not it's actually going to work. Right? You may be telling everybody, "Oh, it's going to be the greatest thing," but you don't have customers yet, or you're significantly smaller than everybody else out in the industry. You're rolling up your sleeves. You're trying to get it out there, and you're looking at the Google offices with all the pretty stuff around and the you know hint in the micro kitchens, and you're like, oh. I'm just trying really hard. I mean, this is, you know, it's just everybody's got a little bit of that. But I think really understanding from other founders what it's like um, to grow. And I always think it's really helpful too in thinking about founder stories too, the different stages. Because so often I've met people who have started companies and maybe they didn't think entrepreneurism was for them. I have a friend who actually worked at Deloitte for years and then left Deloitte and decided to go with the startup. And the startup actually didn't have a product. They were like pre-product, they wouldn't have a product for like a few years. And she said she really wasn't into being an entrepreneur. It just like wasn't for her. And when I heard about the fact that they didn't actually have a product, that it was like pre-product, it was in the pharmaceutical industry and they were waiting and waiting. I was like, well was it the fact that you didn't like the entrepreneur or like a pre revenue pre product thing because that's a very different company than somebody who's starting out that is really trying to get revenue now, maybe somebody who's you know a ten million dollar company and trying to grow to a hundred million? I think all of those things are really, really important to know
1: yep, I love that. I also think there's a piece to kind of holding on to that imposter syndrome or at least questioning your ideas and thoughts. I was just listening to a really good interview with this guy Graham Duncan. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's written some really good things around like how to hire teams and, you know, a lot of really good content. No. Oh, check him out, Graham Duncan. Yeah, he has this blog post, I think it's called Who's that human there? And it's very interesting when it comes to how to hire a team, how to actually ask good reference questions and I mean, you'll be in an entire wormhole if you're trying to figure out hiring. I highly recommend that. But his point was that, you know, you want to see how hard and strong someone's holding on to an idea and if they are, like you should be questioning that. So, for instance, people who are out or people in older industries who basically have said a message so many times it's like calcified and they just keep repeating it and they hold on so strongly to that idea that like no one's allowed to question it even themselves. And so there's a piece to that imposter syndrome like you're mentioning that I actually think is really important where you're constantly questioning you know, is this the right way to do it? Is there a better way? And having those, you know, strong opinions, weakly held kind of mentality that I think, you know, you should always hold on to.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's really interesting too, to bring in, you know, not only people who sort of have a passion for, I mean, let's say it's, it's supply chain, right? You bring in somebody who's really has experience maybe, or an interest in kind of taking on that role. But in addition, at different stages, right? Because it's not just about a spec of, of finding that person who will like fill your slot, but somebody who can actually expand the team to go with these different stages as well. I mean, I, I know I've interviewed people in the past who have said, for example, that you know they really loved the early stages of the company, but when they had the experience of going from 10 million to 20 million, it was really tough, and here's why. Having somebody like that on your team, how you had to change some aspect of your team that you didn't know, for example, that kind of thinking, I think, too, is is really how to build out the best teams, and I think a lot of people don't think about that when they're interviewing. Hey, Kara here. We are thrilled you are listening with us, and I hope you're enjoying this episode I have had the pleasure of interviewing so many amazing guests over the past few years, and there are so many more to come. I cannot wait. And my focus is on entrepreneurs and CEOs, real innovators and leaders who are making a difference. That's what I'm looking forward to bringing you. One of the reasons I enjoy interviewing many of my guests is that I get to learn. We all need to hear stories that teach us to be better inspire us and help us get through those challenging moments. I can't remember the last time I had a guess that didn't leave me feeling like a major hurdle had been overcome. We just don't hear these stories enough and when we do, we learn to be smarter and stronger. Don't you agree? Episodes are concise but packed with amazing info that you will surely be inspired by. Do me a favor and send me a DM and tell me what you think about each interview that you get a chance to be inspired by. And if you are so inclined, please leave one of those five-star reviews for The Kara Golden Show on one of your favorite podcast platforms as well. Reviews really, really help. Now let's get back to this episode.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think about how do I hire someone who's agile and yeah can get through great times, hard times, startup times kind of can be flexible and grow into a role is a uh, an interesting challenge when it comes to hiring for sure. So I'm a mom of three boys under four. And I know you're a mom. I think you have four. I have kids, four. Right? I started hint when I had four under six. So Okay. So yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, ah, this is my woman. She understands a lot of the struggles right now that I'm going through with these children. But there's a really fun story you had around uh, I think it was your plan C section with your last Sun, I think. And it was around that and Whole Foods. And I was hoping you could talk about that because I thought it was an epic story, especially for anyone who's like, I'm a mom, how can I do this? I'm like, go listen to Kara's story. It's pretty funny and great. So could you please sure
0: absolutely. Well, it was, you know, in the when I decided to actually launch Hint and I had made the decision that the world needed a product like Hint, I wrote the business plan and then I just decided I'm gonna get it on the product on the shelf prior to my son, Justin being born, because I knew how hard it was. I had three other babies. I knew that I would have, you know, a few weeks after I brought him home from the hospital where, you know, that he'd sleep a lot, but then he'd really need my attention. And I wanted to be around for that too. And so I thought if I can just get it on the shelf, then maybe I'll have a little bit more time. Again, I had no idea. I'd never... You know, started my own company. I'd worked for entrepreneurs, but I didn't really understand what I didn't know. And that's when kind of the first lesson in launching a physical product, really any product, I learned kind of the hard way, which is you're always going to have delays, right? There it never will be on time. There will always be a little bit of a delay. And so we had um, our first shipment that actually came in my garage the day before I was launching my my fourth child. I was having a planned C-section. I'll set this up for you. Here I, here I am. I'm living in San Francisco. I've got three kids. We've got babysitter coverage, right? Coming to watch the kids while we're going and having a planned C-section. My husband, Theo, and I, or it's like going to the Ritz-Carlton, basically, because we're checking in you know, to the hospital. He's going to stay in the chair, the fold-out chair in my room. It's going to be great. We get a little bit of a break. And that's when I woke up that morning on May 27, 2005. And my husband said, so what do you want to do this morning? We don't have to be at the hospital till one o'clock. And I said, let's go get our product in Whole Foods because that way... We only have two spaces in our garage, and one of the spaces is being taken up with these pallets of water. And how is the babysitter going to watch the kids in the house and like juggle cars on the street, that extra car? Like, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be crazy. I'm like trying to figure out the logistics of all this. And so he looked at me and he said, So I didn't really think that you were going to say, let's go work on getting the product in Whole Foods this morning, I thought you were going to say brunch or maybe go on a walk or something like that. I'm like, no, I would feel so much better if I got the product in Whole Foods before I went and delivered Justin. And so Theo was nice enough to load up some cases in the car. I had talked to this gentleman at Whole Foods a few months before, but I really hadn't been in there. I didn't share this part with Theo, but I hadn't been in there lately because I was busy, right? Doing other things. So I thought there's a 50-50 shot whether or not I'm actually going to get the product in. Hopefully he wouldn't say maybe because I probably would have missed my window to have Justin if that would have happened, trying to get him to yes. We got to Whole Foods and I recognized the gentleman who I had kind of had some banter with before about this idea. and tapped him on the shoulder and he looked at me and I said, hi, do you remember me? And he said, you are really pregnant. And I said, yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm super pregnant. He said, like, are you going to deliver a baby in, in the store? And I said, gosh, I hope not. I'm actually scheduled to have a baby this afternoon. And he said, what do you mean? Like you're scheduled to have a baby. And I said, oh, I'm having a planned C-section. And he said, so what's the difference between a planned C-section and an emergency C-section? Cause a friend of mine had an emergency C-section. And I, I said I like his detail-orientedness. <laughs> right. And I he's taking a break at this moment while he's not putting product on the shelf. And he wanted to be educated about, you know, C-sections. So my husband laughed and kind of left me standing there. He thought, oh my God, is she really gonna? Take this guy through having a C-section, why not? And so I explained where babies came from and how you have planned C-sections and answered all his questions. And after I was done, I said, by the way, I have my product hint here. I'm wondering if you could put the product on the shelf because I have to be at the hospital at one o'clock. And he said, I will try. It wasn't a maybe, but he said, I will try. And I thought, oh, okay, he didn't commit but it's kind of close, but he didn't quite commit. And my husband at that point said, come on, Kara, we have to go, we need to go to the hospital. And I said, okay. So I left not really knowing whether or not he was actually gonna put it on the shelf. And I didn't learn until the next day after Justin was born and I got a phone call and the phone call was from him, from the guy that I was talking to at Whole Foods. And he said, your product is gone. And I said, who took it? I mean, I hadn't focused on actually replenishing the product. We had just dropped it off. And he said, "Uh, the product is all gone. The 10 cases that you guys dropped off are gone. Here I was thinking that maybe somebody took them, stole them. How could anybody buy the product? I mean, I was really just focused on getting it on the shelf. And He said, uh, no, I mean, you guys need to get back in here because I'm going to get in trouble if we, I mean, this is hot product, like people are buying it. And I thought most of my friends, you have to understand too, were in tech. All of my friends were in tech. I didn't even tell people that I was making a beverage at home. People would ask me, oh, what are you doing? Many people didn't even ask because they knew I didn't have a job. I wasn't getting paid. and so that was you know an interesting kind of moment because i thought here i've created a product where people are actually buying my product and they don't even know me like it was mind blowing to me that i had created something that people really wanted and it was fascinating we checked out of the hospital a day early and my husband like went and replenished the cases and everything was fine but it, you know I, I remember thinking something really interesting we put on the bottle That first run, something that hadn't really been done. We put an email and a phone number on the bottle, and the emails went directly to me. I didn't have a customer service team or anything. And so here I am sitting in bed recovering from having Justin. And I remember the note from this gentleman who had bought the product, and he said, Thank you so much for creating this product. I have something called type 2 diabetes. And I had never, this is 17 years ago, very small percentage of the population had type 2 diabetes. I'd heard of diabetes and type 1 diabetes, but never really heard, had heard of type 2 diabetes until I received this email. He went on to share how he had struggled with trying to figure out how he got this. He wasn't born with this and he was healthy and active. And then suddenly he you know, had gotten type 2 diabetes. And the more I heard from this consumer about his challenge and connected the fact that he was thanking me for creating a product that was helping him achieve something, do something, which was maintain his type 2 diabetes, I thought, that's pretty special, right? That's pretty awesome. And I thought, maybe this is hard. Maybe... There's a lot of things to figure out, but I still think about that 16 and a half years later, how if you can actually build a product, if you can do something, whether it's a service or no matter what industry you're in or a physical product, if you can do something that helps somebody be better in some way and achieve something that they didn't know that they could do, that they had been having problems doing, that solves a problem, that's a powerful thing. I mean that's a personally a very powerful feeling that you created something that is better right and that and again it it fascinates me that you can actually do that and be helpful to people without ever meeting them without ever knowing them just by creating something that just helps
1: fast forward through today i mean I Sadly, I'm like, we need another five hours to go through the entire journey. But if you fast forward to today, how would you start again if you were to say, okay, I want to start something new, like the world is in such a different place now. And what would you do or what where would you even start out? Because I feel like you've probably had so many experiences, so many lessons, so much advice from people probably, and you've probably given advice to a lot of people. But like, I want to kind of see how your brain works today and like, how would you go about it?
0: I think it would be really challenging for me not to do something that actually helped, right? And that, that bettered the world in, in some way. And uh, it wouldn't have to necessarily be in health, although that's a pretty powerful magnet, right? Something that people care so much about that stumps them. When you can actually do something like that I think that that's success, right? That's an achievement. And I don't know. I mean, look, I started out in media, went on to tech, came into beverage, mission-based consumer product. Maybe it's something, all of those things, you know, but I think in the meantime, I'm very focused on making sure that Hint gets bigger, that it's... uh, You know, there's a lot of white space. Hint is only in the U.S. today. So international, the sky's the limits. And you know, I think health is something that is really a puzzle for many people, right? I mean, we just are dealing with two years of a pandemic where it's it, it definitely is whether you believe in vaccines or masks or no matter where you're living in the world or gender or any socioeconomic background, any of those things, everybody wants to stay healthy. And I think people figuring out what you put into your body, what you do on a day-to-day basis might actually be more powerful and more helpful to you than actually trying to fix yourself when you have to.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Okay. I also, I was reading through your book, which is awesome. And I want to hear one of your favorite stories while writing it that, yeah, you'd love to talk about, or maybe that enough people don't talk about from the book or you're like, this is a really good one to reminisce about.
0: I will tell you a story. There were a few stories that were cut from the book. Oh, that's
1: even better. Yeah. Ones that were cut.
0: This was one that was cut from the book. So I'm in the middle of a transition from my little startup that I was at when I was just had come to Silicon Valley called Two market. And we were kind of moonlighting, helping our investor America online, uh, actually develop out their marketplace. And so
1: small company, a small
0: company, (laughs) but you know, it's interesting. This is, you know, 1996, we were, they definitely weren't. Ahead, they had competition. They were kind of the underdog versus a couple of other companies, Prodigy and CompuServe. If you remember any of those no. services <laughs> in the '90s, but you know, underdogs can win, and definitely they were. America Online was one of our investors, and that was kind of the connection. But as I started to help build out, you know, this this marketplace, and I at Two Market, I had been responsible for bringing retailers in, including The Gap. And I have a story in in the book about that. And also some like online-only companies that were out there, some catalogs like Omaha Steaks and Ella Bean, et cetera. But it was a lot of fun building those out. But the one gap that we had that, you know, America Online, we really felt needed was books. And we had talked to Barnes & Noble and this other brand called Borders Books that is no longer around, asked, you know, tried to get them to work with us so that we could offer our consumers the ability on America Online to be able to purchase books. And when we kept hearing no, and we were waiting, and we were really lacking this category, I had heard about this guy in Seattle Jeff Bezos. And he was, you know, scrappy guy. It was a lot smaller. We thought maybe we could go do a deal with Amazon with Jeff Bezos. And that would get Borders and Barnes and Noble's attention to eventually come online with us. And so reached out to him, he reached back out. And, you know, this is when Amazon was just books, right? And so I'll never forget, he sends me an email back and he said. I can't meet before five o'clock. So if you can make it up to Seattle, I'll meet you at five o'clock and I'll meet you at my warehouse. So I get off the plane, go drive around. I'm looking for the number on the warehouse and it's 515. And I call him and he said, I can't meet with you now because it's it's past five o'clock. And I said, well, I can't find your number. And he said, there's no numbers on the warehouse. I thought... Okay, well, how am I going to find the warehouse if uh, there's no numbers, there's no address? So all of a sudden, I see this guy out in front of the warehouse and he's waving his arms, Jeff Bezos, waving his arms like, oh, I'm over here. Okay, so I get over there. It's now like going on 530. And he said, I can't meet with you. And I said, oh, come on. I flew up here from San Francisco. And Meeting and you know and he he said I've got to build bookshelves and I said I can help you build bookshelves I am like I am the best bookshelf builder there is and he started laughing and um, I had never built a bookshelf before but I thought how hard could it be why not so here we are building bookshelves me and Jeff Bezos and I had another colleague with me and I mean I remember thinking okay this guy's the CEO of the company. and he's building bookshelves at 5.30. I'm not sure that they're going to be able to scale with us or do any, you know, grow with the company. I mean, he's kind of funny. He's sort of like an interesting meeting to say the least. He doesn't have numbers on his building. Uh, All of these things were going through my head. And in order to size him up, I thought, okay, what is it that I need to hear from him that is really going to help me to make this decision whether or not this is the right decision? And so I asked him, I said, so Jeff, why do you think you can compete against like the big guys, like Borders and Barnes and Noble? And he said, you read, right? I said, yes, Jeff, I read. And I read a lot. And he said, do you ever go to the bookstore and ask for a recommendation? This is 1996. And I said, I do. And he said, and how good are those recommendations in the store? And I said, well, you can't expect the person behind the counter to really know you and know what your likes and dislikes and interests are in every single category. And he said the future of book sales, the future of all category sales online is recommendations. And I, and I remember thinking, wow, at that moment. And that was the thing that really sent I said I remember calling my husband when I was coming back to get back on the plane, and I said, "This guy's really smart, and I told him what he said. He was at a company called Netscape at the time, and they had just done a deal with amazon as well and and I remember just thinking i wasn't sure whether or not he was going to be able to scale or not, but he was really smart, and he was thinking about the consumer and the future. I also share that story because how long did recommendations take to actually get off the ground, and how many people had he said that to who doubted him and didn't believe Barnes and Noble and Borders weren't doing recommendations like he must have been the person that looked a little crazy, right, and you know where is he today? I mean, on his yacht and doing all kinds of stuff, right like So I think that that's the thing that, you know, the the visionary entrepreneurs, the people that are actually figuring out what can be done, they look a little crazy. But in addition to that, how long do things actually take? People get frustrated because they're like, oh, it's taking a long time. Recommendations, it took 20 years. Yep. And they're still getting better. And I bet Jeff Bezos didn't think it was going to take 20 years.
1: Yeah. He wouldn't have started it. I think all founders always say, like, if they knew what it would actually take, they would have never started the company they started. And yeah, I mean, it reminds me of this quote. I actually just have it in my little notepad in the upper left hand side that I've never brought up in an interview, but it's by this guy, George Bernard Shaw. I don't know if you've heard this mm-hmm. quote. It says, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man or woman. I'm like, that is how I want to act every single day. And with that, Kara, thank you so much for hopping on here today. We will have to do more podcasts together because this was super fun. Until next time, where can people learn more about you and what you're up to?
0: All over social media at Kara Golden with an I. And hopefully you'll get a chance to pick up the book as well. Lots of good stories in there, even if you're not a beverage entrepreneur or even if you're not an entrepreneur, I think it's a, it's a story of a journey, resistance, resilience, all of those things I think are are really key. So hopefully you'll reach out and share what you think with me as well. Amazing, thank you so much. Thank you. Before we sign off, I wanna to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness.